Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press, focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for LSJ. Joining me this week, as always, are two guys just lazily sitting on their couch wearing their Lake Lansing t-shirt. It's LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch and Detroit Free Press Michigan State beat writer Chris Solari. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing on this beautiful Tuesday morning? Was that a soprano pitch we just heard from you? Yeah, I my voice went up a level there while <laughs> while doing the normal read. I don't know what happened, but you know what? We're gonna leave. It, we're gonna leave it. Excellent. I'm doing good, Phil. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Great to be here. Oh, that's my <laughs> sorry. That's my eighth grade voice. I was, I was gonna say that's your Pat Mahomes voice. Is what it, is what it sounds like to me. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, we spent we spent a little bit of our pre pre production meeting in quotes as always uh, talking about the HBO show Winning Time, which premiered on Saturday night. So let's just kick things off. Talk about that a little bit. I know you guys have a, a lot of thoughts about that, and I think I do as well. I think the general theme is that all of us enjoyed it. Chris, kind of start us off here. Yeah. you're the one that you were the one that demanded that Graham and I watch it before we record. So I did because. I mean, it was fun, and I, I told you guys that before in our in our uh, lengthy pre-prod meeting. Um, I thought it was a fun episode, and it, it's going to be interesting to kind of follow that along. And I don't think you should take it with a hundred percent historical accuracy by any means. Um, you know, I, I you know I think Doc Tucker wasn't around in there, which was you know anybody who's been around. Uh, MSU and Lansing area and, and no magic's backstory, know how important doc Tucker is to him as, as an agent. Um, you know, but seeing his, you know, his father represented seeing, you know, obviously the, the, the Lake Lansing shirt kind of caught me off guard a little bit. And that was a, that's actually a local Lansing made product, which was pretty cool. Um, they got some pub with that, but there's also, a lot of Michigan state stuff in there and, and hints of the 79 championship game. So I think, you know, if, if you want to tie it back to this, I mean, that's going to be, this is going to be a a pretty well received uh, series. I mean, we'll see how long it goes and see how much they, they try and do how many seasons, but, but at least for right now, I mean, you know, it, it, everything's about marketing. if, If you follow Mel Tucker's program at all right now, and this is this is a boost for Michigan State in some ways too. But I thought, fun as it was, you know, that there was the the scene with Norm Nixon. I I'm sorry, I <laughs> that was that was a little over the top. That's probably the one spot that I thought was ridiculous and over the top. The one on one game that they allegedly played, um, and Magic looked like a, a you know baby giraffe on roller skates yeah. uh, against Norm Nixon. I find it hard to believe that Magic Johnson ever wouldn't have been. Uh, sitting down and taking anything kind of guy uh even at that point but but otherwise it was a good fun show yeah i I enjoyed it immensely i thought that um i mean first of all i'm a lansing snob so i love when there's lots of lansing and anything i love the the some of the magic 30 for 30 stuff that's been around with little la and you know lansing and, and that whole stuff up but i i you know i enjoyed the fact that he he took a, a slight shot at Everett High School and and and, and that uh, in that scene and and sort of referencing without saying it that he wanted to go to Sexton, my alma mater, which I appreciate. Um, <laughs> I, I you know I I just I just it's a fun piece. You know I think anybody who lives here or grew up here or you know knows Magic Lansing guy, his parents have stayed here. Uh, I I think there's you know Magic is is part of this community's soul it's he's a son of lansing and he's never uh you know truly left it and i think that is uh so anything about magic is going to be something that's that's endearing to to people around here in the michigan state frankly because uh for you know 
two decades, he was the best thing MSU basketball had going for it. And he was the alumni who stuck around. He was, until they won that second title, he was Michigan State basketball's best credibility for a, for a long, long time. You know, what's interesting, too, is the, the author of the book, Winning Time, Jeff Perlman, uh, just kind of spinning it all back around. Uh, I bet it was about probably 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, that I actually connected with Jeff um, on a story about former Lug Nuts manager Sal Fasano. As one and does. As one does. Um, but he had, he and, and Fasano kind of got close. So, I mean, he, he's a guy that, I mean, obviously his, his big draw was the John Rocker story in SI um, back in the day that, that really painted out uh, who John Rocker was and at, at the height of his popularity. So, you know, he, he is a writer who's, who's uh, delved into a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for, controversial areas and, and had some backlash on things at times. And I know Magic's not, it didn't sound like he's too happy about this from what I've read. Uh, didn't plan on watching it. And I, I guess that both he and Jeannie Buss have also have uh, similar things that are coming out. I don't know if it'll be in the dramatic vein like, like this is. Um, so those, I, I think it's going to whet the appetite. It's going to be what this is going to be is kind of the, the, the Hollywood version, which listen, I mean, if the Lakers were anything, they were nothing but Hollywood. So I think it kind of fits with that, you know, but it's more of a, to me, somewhat fictitious or em- embellished. There's a lot, I think there's going to be a lot of embellishments in this, um, as, as we've already kind of seen a little bit, but it's fun. It's a fun, fun show, and it's going to whet the appetite for, for maybe a reentry into Magic Johnson as the player that kind of like what The Last Dance did for Jordan, uh, but in a little different vein. Yeah, the, 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 this won't have the advantage of the pandemic where we all get together every, you know, Sunday night and uh, sort of Tiger King it up a little bit. You know, that that's not going to – but you're you're right, I do think. And, and there's some interesting performances in there, Kevin. The, the Jerry West character is just <laughs> fantastic. John C. Riley's outstanding. Oh, my gosh. Uh, John, John C. Riley's definitely the best part of it. He, uh, he yeah. feels like he's got Dr. Buss uh, nailed, uh, he nailed does. pretty good there. He does. He does. Do you, no, do, you it, know who played, do you know who played Jack Kent Cook? Yeah, it was uh, Noonan from uh, Caddyshack. Noonan, that's right. Noonan, Danny Noonan from Caddyshack. Yeah. No, I I recommend it. I think anybody who cares about Lansing, Michigan State, Magic, or just likes basketball stuff and to be entertained, it's definitely entertaining. It's fun. It's Uh, well-produced. You know, they take some – I mean, they take some shots at society and other things that are are funny in there. I mean, the, the descriptions of Magic and Bird when they're coming out, are uh, are pretty funny and and just sort of the way they the the media played the racial card back then was sort of I would say that's still it's still coded that way in, in certain aspects uh, even in 2022 very much so but it was oh, I yeah. think more blatant back then it was you yeah. know hardworking gritty uh, Larry Bird versus you know flashy you know and and they and they sort of lay it out there with some funny graphics so yeah I, I would as I much would, as, as much as uh, as much as John C. Riley was funny, I think I, I cannot wait to keep watching Jerry West dropping yeah. f bombs and, no, and, and swearing up a storm because I think that's just like the old school kind of kind of pro athlete vibe that that it might seem embellished, but I think that anybody who's been around high level athletes and that uh, over over the course of the last thirty forty years, um, there's, there's there's some truth to that 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 the biggest of competitors sometimes are the pottiest of mouths. And sometimes people, sometimes you people, people you think one way about in, a, in, in the public sphere are very different privately. And that's yeah. something I think they're trying to lay out with Jerry West in terms of his, I mean, everybody's known he can be, I think he's had some issues with, with, you know, uh, you know, sort of, I'm being unhappy. I don't want to say depression to what level. Cause I haven't, I don't know. That's a little tough to say, but yeah. But he's been—he's certainly a surly person. But it—that it, uh, is magnified in this, without question. That seems to be so far like the most controversial part in terms of how he has been portrayed. Like I don't know how much of the, it was true that he didn't want magic at all and preferred Sidney Moncrief. I don't know if anybody's read Winning Time, the the or Showtime, the book. To I have not read the book yet, but that—I mean, that, there's truth to that. Okay, he thought he felt the Lakers at that point needed more of a score. 
to to build around Kareem. Maybe that maybe all that stuff wasn't wasn't as embellished as maybe I, I uh, personally thought. And I also want to add that uh, I did I buy that Lake Lansing shirt from Lansing Clothing Company last night. You betcha. I am a uh, <laughs> I am a sheep for I am a sheep for popular culture. I, one of my favorite one of my favorite lines from uh, Phil Friend uh, ever. And uh, I was asking you at one point why you uh, you like to why you why you drove Uber as well, and you said something about having to support your lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was yeah. like it, we were in a meeting somewhere, and it was just it was very uh, it was very diva like the way you yes. said it. I have to support my lifestyle. Yes, uh, when you when you spend more money than you make, you know you gotta <laughs> you gotta you gotta come up with a, a alternative options, and then you know in some respects, I'm taking my cues from Magic Johnson. There, you know, he Absolutely. lived he lived oh, a God. he lived a lavish lifestyle, so. Only the best of us in Lansing here can follow in our footsteps. Neither of you guys are old enough to remember when the NBA finals were preempted, are you? No. I still think they were preempted in like the mid eighties. No, they weren't. By then they were preempted. I can I can remember watching preempted NBA finals um on CBS late, 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 you know, like eleven o'clock. So what year would have that been, Chris? I mean you're you're fifty six. So what year is that? (laughs) Sixty I am See, see, this you talk about the embellishments here, like the the forty seven second questions, and I'm fifty seven years. Every it's it's it, 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 it goes right with you. I mean, it's like I'm only ten more minutes away, and I'll be done. And so half hour, forty five <laughs> minutes later, it it kind of pops up. But no, I'm I'm forty seven. So you know that was when I started. You know, at, at, you know eighty, eighty one, eighty two. Okay, you know, I, 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 so, I yeah. think I. I, I off the top of my head, the one that I can remember, uh, I think the uh, Sixers final, because uh, I, I really enjoyed watching Dr. J as a kid. Um, I think that's one I definitely remember. I, 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 I believe that the Lakers' first finals were actually preempted by Dallas. So, it's possible. Um, the, first, the first final I remember, and I don't know where, and, and this goes to my fandom and explains a lot. Like, I became a... Uh, like I remember the '85 Finals a little bit with Celtics Lakers, but '86 Finals, I became a massive Houston Rockets fan for whatever reason with Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon on the Twin Towers and the hook mm-hmm. shot. But I was such a front runner back then. I was a fan of the '85 Bears for a brief moment. Like there are finger paintings that are still in my parents' house of Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon <laughs> that I that I made in '86. Like you know, at like six years old. Uh, thinking that was my my team or something. So th- I, by that time, they were certainly live. I, uh, based on my bedtimes, there's no way they were preempted. I, I had a pair of the there, and I'm sure this will hopefully come up at some point. But but before the Jordans, um, the the big shoe was the the Converse Cons, the the black layer. You you you. This is. I mean, we talk about the the racial dynamics of this. I mean, Magic's, you know yellow purple and white ones versus the the black and white ones of larry bird were very much a cultural touchstone of between white kids and black kids and or or even in in where i grew up um where there weren't i mean it wasn't much ethnic diversity um you know you could tell the kids who really enjoyed magic versus and, and that style of basketball versus the the, the grittiness of Larry Bird and that I, it, it's going to be fascinating to, to kind of watch this thing evolve uh, as well, a show because I think there's a lot of this that they are going to cover in terms of of just what this what what magic and the Showtime Lakers did to not just revolutionize basketball but but also to to kind of break basketball into that cultural realm where where the, those Jordan ones and and the dunk contest all of a sudden was a thing that everybody kind of started rallying around didn't matter whether you were white black hispanic or anything i mean it, it if if not for magic and bird there's probably not the the global acceptance of the nba as as there is today yep i agree although i will say that the first season of winning time is only going to cover this magic rookie year so i don't know how far we'll get into the Converse and stuff like that. We might at the at that rate, it might have to be like four or five seasons down the line before we get to the <laughs> before we get. I have a stuff. feeling this thing's going to have some staying power. Yeah, I really do. So, yeah, and it's sort of to wrap up to, to get to Chris's point. Sort of before we get to MSU here, the um, you know, Magic is at the age I am. I was not always 
like the kids growing up were, were very divided because remember the bad boys were, uh, you know, this is peak bad boys when I'm a kid. And so the, the Lakers are a Pistons rival and magic came to our elementary school. I still remember him walking down the street and sitting there in Miss Gardner's third grade class as he came and spoke to our school. Cause one of the fourth grade teachers, husband was his middle school coach. And, and so this is like 80, 88. And, uh, and so there were kids on the That's playground awesome. that would would love magic. There were kids at other things you go with magic fans because he went to Everett or or he grew up in Lansing or or they liked the Lakers. And I and I wasn't even a big magic fan for a long time because as a kid, he was on the other side of Isaiah and Dumars. And so there was some weird divides in terms of my age group in Lansing, even though he was an MSU guy, because I wasn't around when 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 he went to MSU or Everett or anything like that. So I, I think that uh by sort of magic curiosity and, and, and fandom sort of came in the nineties later. I, I kind of, you know, my cousin, you know, I, there, there was no NBA team in Pittsburgh when I was growing up and really the, you know, Connie Hawkins, uh, Pittsburgh Pipers back in the ABA days were there. So, so my, my, uh, my NBA, uh, cheering was for the Pittsburgh Pisces in the fish at save Pittsburgh, which, I believe is going to be referenced this season. So keep an eye out for that. You don't have, you don't have space jam and all these other basketball movies without the fish that saved Pittsburgh. Mark my words with that. But, um, my cousin was a huge magic fan and I was, you know, it, it, it's kind of NBA free agency in Pittsburgh. And, you know, because of my ties to, to Michigan and Detroit, um, I was a huge bad boys fan at that point as well. Um, but, at the same point there, I don't feel like there was the visceral, the same kind of visceral, uh, anger or, you know, hatred towards magic towards Jordan. Um, I think there was there, you know, if you didn't have an NBA team, you did see kids like my cousin, just picking a guy like that, you know, big Jordan as well. I mean, I can remember the, the Jordan, uh, when they came out when I was in fifth grade. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't have air Jordan ones, uh, when you were playing basketball, um, you 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 know you were you were kind of castigated a little bit. And you know, he's not really a serious basketball person, but um, but Magic, I mean, that was that was the guy that really I think started to kind of rally. Not just Magic, but Magic and Bird, because I had friends on both sides that that were diehards for both of those guys. And uh, you know, it's you know, it's amazing what what a kid from Lansing and a kid from, from Phil's area of, of Indiana. Not really, That's but right. you know what I mean? It's like from Springs Valley high school. I mean, these guys took their, took their games to each side of the coast and, you know, really brought everybody in the middle to, to the game, which is, it, it's fascinating. I think that's what makes that era of basketball to me, maybe a little bit more compelling than, than even the Jordan era, because, you know, it, and I think they're starting to kind of cover this. You know, it's, you know, that basketball wasn't really thought of the same way in the late seventies and early eighties as it was once magic and birds started to bring that rivalry from the college game and from that 79 championship game into the NBA to, to Boston, to LA and, and really kind of, kind of reviving where the sport had been in the, the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. I, I'm sure we'll uh, have a lot more, winning time to talk about here in, in the weeks to come here. And uh, our listeners might be asking ourselves, why did we spend the first uh, 19 minutes of this podcast talking about winning time? Well, besides the Magic Johnson uh, Lansing connections, um, there's the Michigan State basketball team is maybe not as fun or interesting to talk about as of late. Yes, they, uh, they ended their regular season with a 77-67 win over Maryland on Sunday. But uh, in between or before all that, there was a... Road loss to Ohio State, a road loss to Michigan by 11 and 17 points. And then, uh, I mean, if you go two games before that, uh, there was a 26-point loss to Iowa. So, yeah, that's why we started with winning time. But uh, now I think we can uh, start uh, getting out of the nitty-gritty of this Michigan State basketball season. Uh, they will open their Big Ten tournament uh, as the seventh seed, uh, taking on Maryland once again on Thursday. Uh Graham, at least it was nice to see the Spartans win their regular season finale. And as a, in the column that you wrote earlier this week, uh, to see Malik Hall have a, have a big game once again. There were a number of things that uh, that happened that I think were important. One, they, they you know, look, it was a it was truly a feel good home game, right? I mean, it was 
when Malik called, or sorry, when, when Julius Marble's hitting 16 foot hook shots and Marcus Bingham's hitting his first good threes, those are, those are home games that, that happen to every team uh, where things, you know, that, that just doesn't happen on the road very often that what, or in a neutral court. And, you know, what the actual meaning of those things is, 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 is hard to say. I, I do think where there's value is they needed to stop the bleeding. They needed to feel good. They needed all of that. But then they also needed the way it unfolded, I think. I, I really think it was important that they were challenged in the second half to some degree and forced to respond. Because I really thought they were going to lose when they got it down to like five and three points and Maryland cut it back after having that 20-point lead. So I, I do think that, um, you know, I, I think those were all – those were important things because this was a team I thought was on the verge of sort of being done and and had to make a decision to – and Gabe Brown comes with some huge buckets at key times to sort of uh, get them out, out of that dicey situation and then – Malik Hall, who's really been absent for five of the last six games, um, comes through with with a stretch of basketball that, that that puts the game away. And you know, you just look at his wins and losses. I mean, he, I think in, in in wins this year he averages like eleven point six, and in losses it's like six point two. And he takes almost three more shots a game. Like he is a different when when he plays well, they are a different team because he he provides something that that is. Uh, um, of, of quality. He's a, he's a versatile player, can score a number of ways, gives them something they don't have anywhere else on the roster. And so I thought there were a number of things that were important. They could just as easily lose to Maryland on Thursday in the Big Ten tournament, but uh, certainly a decent way to end, end the regular season. Yeah, which they did last year. Um, remember, they went down to Indy and lost to Maryland that first game, one and done. Um, I, I think the Sunday's game was huge for the seniors because, first of all, I think you know, what gets lost with some of the up and downs that this team has kind of gone through and, and really kind of how all three of those guys with Bingham, Brown, and Hauser, they've all at some point or another drawn the ire and frustration of the fans and the coaches, but they're good dudes. I mean, it's, you know, it was nice to see them have a senior day that they can remember, you know, and, and kind of enjoy the, the moment, enjoy it, it. You know, Izzo talks about, um, leaving a, a you know footprints in the sand, and for those guys, you know that last game at home, if that is their last game as a Michigan State player, it, it, it's going to be a great thing that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives. I mean, what they, you know, Bingham and Brown scored the first eleven points. They go out, get off to a fourteen zero run. Hauser's you know distributing the ball and grabbing rebounds early. He hit a big three, um, he, and, and uh, like you said, with Brown scoring seven straight points. And then Hall scoring those last seven after that, um, you know, that was a lot of what we saw earlier in the year. And yeah, I, when Tom Izzo came to the post game, he said he had talked to George Blaha right afterward. <laughs> Leave it to George to sum it up perfectly. He said, I saw a season in, in one game. And he did. I mean, it was everything that we've seen all season with this team, all the way from missed free throws at, at inopportune times to, clusters of turnovers going the other way and a big lead vanishing. But the thing that we haven't seen much lately was that response. Like you said, um, the ability to not just hold on, but to, to kind of reassert themselves down the stretch and say, we're not going to lose this game, how that bodes the rest of this month. Um, you know, it's going to be critical, but they haven't had that. They haven't had that kind of moment in a while. And you need that. You need to be able to, to not just prove it, but have the confidence that you, you, you're able to do it. And that's something that Izzo has talked about over the past week. It's nothing that they haven't done this year. And I think that's where the frustration level comes because people will talk about, well, what would this, if you would have had a 20 and 11 season in, and someone said, that's what you're going to be in November. I think a lot of people would have really liked it and said, we'll take that. But it's how that season went with the 14 and two start, and then the absolute, you know, every end of the spectrum fluctuations uh, since that Michigan cancellation in early January. Um, you know what we're going to see from here out. Who knows? Because we, it, it's just so hard to pre predict what this team's going to do. It you know down in Indianapolis, and then wherever they go after that. Like I think the things that happened Sunday went about as well in terms of them having a chance to 
make a, you know make some moves in Indianapolis this week. Uh, they went about as well as they could have because I think the, their path is well. I don't know. It's ideal to play Maryland directly again. I I you know I, Maryland's a, a beatable team certainly, and and you know Indiana would have been uh, no more or less likely that they would win that game. But the next round perhaps would be Wisconsin for Michigan State, which is, I think, different than facing Purdue, which it might have been. Uh, earlier scenarios could have wound up against Illinois, too. But you know, Wisconsin, that is a team that they can – they beat by 12 on the road. They physically match up with better than, say, Purdue, having to take them out again. And I know I'm just the latest guy to doubt Wisconsin, but I just think if, if – if you're hoping Michigan State gets around to the weekend or you you want to go down for it and, and, and have some hope of that, I think what happened Sunday is or is, is, is was was beneficial because I don't think they're a team that you know I don't think they're a team we're going to see put together a great run. I think it's but I think they could have a great game and and or a game that beats Wisconsin and gets them to Saturday. I would be pretty surprised if if they were to do anything beyond that. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Wisconsin. I mean, they lost to Nebraska on Sunday without without Bryce without Bryce McGowan. So, uh, well, they lost Johnny Davis in the second half to injury, but that game was close even still. And Nebraska beat Penn State by like twenty five, and then they they beat Ohio State by eight on the road. And Nebraska is good. What I love about Nebraska, and this is just my own snarkiness, is I love what they're doing to the metrics right now. You essentially. If, if you consider Nebraska a bad loss for somebody right now, because they are, according to the net and Ken Palm, then you're not watching the games. I mean, Ken Palm right. almost has to be thrown out. His whole business model has to go away. Same with the net, everything. For Nebraska right now, you cannot use any metric with Nebraska, not in judging Nebraska. Nebraska doesn't deserve to be in the tournament. You can't just have a great last week. But to me, you cannot consider what happened to those teams that lost to Nebraska bad losses the way you would have two weeks ago if you watch the games. And, and if, you, if you don't have a metric that can deal with that, then you can't use the metrics. And, 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 and I think that's the one thing where metrics really fail with good and bad losses is teams evolve throughout a season. Now, you will see very few teams that ever go from as horrible as Nebraska to as well as they've played, and it's a great example of where there's a flaw in the system. And it's going to be interesting because I think that, you know, there's probably 13 teams – out of the 14 that can beat anybody. I don't, I don't know about Minnesota. Um, they've, they've been down so much, but they also have veterans who, who could, you know, when the lights come on and, you know, the end is there can always change it too. So maybe even you could say all 14 teams have a chance to win their at least one or two games. Um, I don't know how many years you can say that uh, this year has been such a up and down year. And I mean, you know, the Davis injury is going to be interesting. Um, you know, I know that Greg guard said that he thinks he's going to play in Indianapolis, but what happens if he doesn't, I mean, you know, that, that, that Michigan state Maryland winner could, could win two games and all of a sudden be in Saturday in the semifinals. So I don't know. I, it, it, it's going to be a very compelling tournament, I think, because I do think even teams like Rutgers, you know, because they've got that veteran presence and they, They've beaten most everybody in the conference. Um, you know, you put them, stick them on a neutral court with with the veterans that they've got. I mean, I wouldn't – would it shock you if, the, if the Rutgers all of a sudden comes out and gets hot and wins the thing? No. And to that point, Chris, it appears Rutgers might need a win or two here despite finishing fourth in the Big Ten. It's weird that they're on the bubble, whereas, you know, this seems like Michigan appears to be firmly in. Grant, I see you shaking your head. I, I know I agree with you that Rutgers should be in, but – it does not appear that they're one hundred percent in yet. Is all I is all I was saying. I mean, Chris, are you with me on this? That Rutgers should be in because I I just cannot I yeah. cannot stand the idea that I, I at some point good wins good wins and bad losses can't be treated the same. At some point, the good wins are just too dang good not to be what 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 wins the day. They they have wins over Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Illinois, and Purdue. That is not a bubble team. This is not 1997 Michigan State 16. You know, that's an NIT team. This is not. That's not an NIT team. That is, you, you because the problem. The whole point of the tournament is to make sure you have, also the champion in there. Like to me, you want a legitimate tournament. It's got Rutgers in there because otherwise, it'd be the Final Four and Rutgers might have been there. You know, like Rutgers can beat anybody in that field. They have to be in, and they've done enough to deserve to go. Absolutely. Um... 
Now, I think the one thing about Rutgers that has been probably their, their biggest bugaboo is the ability to win on the road. Um, they've, they've been fairly dominant at home. Um, you know, now you start talking about getting into the tournament scenario where it's on neutral court. Um, you know, how much does that benefit them? Um, I, it'll be fascinating because I do think that it's a heck of a team. I mean, it's, it's got a, so many veterans, um, that, you know, they went to the tournament last year. They, they should have been in 2020 as well. So, I mean, they're an experienced bunch, but I mean, yeah, I mean, they beat, I mean, it, the Michigan win looked a lot better than when they beat them. Uh, but you know, still you beat Purdue, you, you, you beat Illinois. I mean, you, you can't argue those, you can't argue those victories that they've had, um, along the way. Um, but I, I think they're, they're in, um, you know, that said, they also, lost to Lafayette and they lost to UMass, but they were a different team then because they had guys that were out. So and that's something the committee is going to take into account. Yeah. And I, I, I think they're still in regardless. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. This is where I think that the seating should be reconfigured in the NCAA tournament a little bit. I think teams should get priority at the top and your pri- the, the seating should be done based on like, so once you decide the field, say Rutgers, you decide is in. Well, now you have to seed them, but they shouldn't be seeded entirely on where you might have their resume, because that's not if they're an eleven, that's not fair to the team that played all year to be a six and isn't as good as them, or it doesn't have close to their or it doesn't have their ceiling. To me, then then you seed a team based on what's truly fair to the opponent, also that's better. I mean, like I would maneuver the seeding differently once I decide the sixty-eight team field. Yeah to be fair to the clubs that are, that are better, that are have higher seeds. Like if you, if, if the flip side of that is if you're an eight seed, if, if Rutgers becomes an eight, nine, I guess there's no good place for him because if Rutgers becomes an ace, not eight, nine. That's the last team I want to see as a, as a, as a one, as an eight, you know, that's a team that's capable of taking down most teams on a given day, more so than most eight seeds. I'd rather see Michigan state than Rutgers, even though Michigan state can turn out a, a great performance here and there. And, and I just, I don't know. To me, if Rutgers isn't in, I cover the tournament for a living, so I'll still cover it. I can't boycott the thing. But it would be I, I would be so furious and I would be so angry at the metrics that lead to this that I would be I would be completely done with it. I think what's gonna be interesting to to watch you know, is a couple of the other teams like Indiana. I, I think that's that's someone Indiana and Michigan to me, I think, are the two teams that go down to Indianapolis with the most gain or lose um i don't know about you grant but i mean but i think both of those teams seem like they're closer to the bubble to me than rutgers uh indiana i think is uh and michigan I, you know i understand and, 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 and you know rutgers played a weak non-league schedule and at this point in the program they shouldn't be doing that so th- to that point that's the one argument you know that that i'm always and i'm, I'm for intent and in scheduling so to speak that 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 bothers me a little bit uh this isn't rutgers of five years ago or whatever um but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think, um, and first of all, I know they don't look at leagues, but when you're the four seed, and I know everything's jumbled there, and there's not much difference between four and a, but you, you've got a double buy. Like Rutgers doesn't even have an opportunity to get an easy win. Like all they got left is probably playing Iowa, who might be the hottest team in the league. It wasn't for some free throws, would have taken out Illinois on the road in the last game of the season and, and controlled most of that game. Like you, you don't lose to Iowa, and that drops you from the tournament. Like there's no. So what you're saying is they would have been better off as the five seed and having one more game. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Um, yeah, I think Indiana's got to win. I think Michigan's in. I think the Ohio State win was was too good. Um, some, I guess, losing to Indiana wouldn't be great. Uh, Indiana, I think, probably definitely has to win. But again, this is just us reading like the numbers and the bracketologists that everybody seems to be in consensus with certain things, including that MSU is like in an eight nine line. Here's my question for you guys. Could MSU – so let's say what's realistic for MSU. Let's not talk about some magical run that changes the dynamic substantially perhaps. But if, say, they beat Maryland and beat Wisconsin and they get to Saturday with those two wins, does that lift them into the, the seven sphere? Because really the Maryland win won't get them anything. But the Wisconsin win would – to beat them twice. Does that get them into the seven off the eight, nine line? And does that move them up? Yes. 
I, I think that'll be interesting because, as we know, sometimes the Big Ten tournament doesn't really have that much of an effect, um, particularly the championship game. But if you get to, you know, Thursday and Friday, you know, when they're still making those determinations and having those discussions, then yeah, I think that could bump them up to the seven. Um, you know, that's, you know, and again, that's, you know, you talk about the intent and scheduling. I mean, you look at Michigan state's non-conference schedule and it's going to bode well for them. You yeah. know I mean? They got, they've got the win over Loyola, which I think helps. I think they've got, you know, the win over UConn helps. Um, so there's, you know, they're not going to talk about quality losses, but you know, let's face it, the, they played well against Baylor for a half. Um, you know, that, you know, that Baylor team obviously has had some struggles since then, but struggles versus, you know. Oh, I mean, Baylor's still going to be a one seed, so yeah, str- struggles in quotes. So, well, and Baylor's so had they, a lot of injuries. You know, I think if there's anything, that could be the one that, that happens where they can bump themselves up with a Wisconsin win. But let's say Johnny Davis is out. How does the committee look at that win? I don't know. Yeah, well, that's that. You know, the, uh, for Wisconsin, I don't know. You know, it, it for Wisconsin, it, it obviously stinks. They couldn't close out the outright title. Not that that stuff matters. Years later, nobody looks at co-championships and stuff. But in the moment, it, it feels a little more decisive. And I think if you win, the one thing not having a co-championship does, if you win it outright, I think is it uh, it negates the importance of the Big Ten tournament. You are the champion. Somebody else can be the Big Ten tournament champion, but the Big Ten champion is the regular season, and when you have a co-championship thing, you get teams that are, that you know, you remember Ohio State, Michigan State, in that great final in 2012, uh, you know, Draymond Green senior year after, they split during the regular season. Ohio State won on that final day when Brandon Dawson was hurt at Breslin and how great that final was. And that felt like a decider. That felt like something that that was separating the two co-champs, right? Or I don't even know if Ohio State, yeah, Ohio State must have been a co-champ that year. Somebody was. That was a, um, it was... You know, and when and so for Wisconsin, it feels like if somebody else, if if, if say Illinois goes ahead and wins the Big Ten conf- tournament championship, and they've got a share of the, you know, their their championship is almost better than yours, and now you need to play and fight for it. Whereas, like if they had wanted, and I don't think you you mess with Johnny Davis's health anyway, but if you had wanted outright, I mean, I would have treated this like the Coca Cola Classic in uh, 1996 in East Lansing, <laughs> Johnny Davis, and said, you're not playing. We won the Big Ten. This is an exhibition. And, you know, and if we, you don't play, it doesn't hurt us as much in the in the, uh, in the the committee's eyes. So, I, But it will be interesting to see. I don't know if it'll hurt the team that plays them tremendously. That They, they don't tend to not look at those as good wins. It just tends not to be as bad a loss, I guess, when a team's hurt, but when a player's hurt. But, yeah, I... Um, I'm curious to see that matchup again, but I, I'm also really curious to see. I mean, Maryland has veteran guys that are going to be motivated as heck. I think in this tournament, they they've been playing for a while in the regular season without the ability to really do anything because they're, you know, they they weren't going to be in the NCAA tournament based on their their resume in the regular season. But Eric Al is a proud dude who's beaten Michigan State a lot and been a really good player. Fats Russell's are really oh, yeah. good. These guys at the end of their careers who just lost a game where they got punked out of the gate. I, I think it's going to be a really tough game for Michigan State. I, you know, I don't – I think it's very much 50-50. Um, and beating a team for a third time is is tough. The one advantage is they do not have – as good as Ayala is, as good as Russell is, this is not a Keegan Murray, Johnny Davis, uh, Jaden Ivey. This is not a team with an All-American or lottery pick like most of the top of the league has. Yeah, and you know, even the guy that I think who presents the biggest uh, problem for Michigan State, because you know Ayala, you know, you mentioned about you know, the pride. I mean, you saw him come out of halftime and just start draining threes when they had gone one for fifteen in the first half. I mean, it was there. But to me, the guy that that is the the toughest mark for Michigan State is Dante Scott. I think Scott is just a different kind of player, but. I think Maryland's also much like Michigan State, a collective rather than a than like you said a a star led team, um, which makes it unpredictable. You know, it's in a lot of ways like Michigan State is. You know, you know who who could step up on a given night? You just don't know. And 
the other caveat to this is how much do they like Danny Manning and wants to to do something to try and get him that job permanently. And that's a right. that's an interesting spot to be in, I, I think, from a coaching standpoint for Manning, but also for the players who, who, you know, the guys that will be coming back that that really have enjoyed their experience with Manning and want to give him the keys, uh, versus you know the rumors that are out there that that guys like Rick Pitino might be interested in going to Maryland. Um, it's a fascinating moment. Um, you know, who, who'd have thought a year ago um, that it would have been at, at this point where, you know, there's no Mark Turgeon there. And, you know, it's well, that, that's played a factor. And I don't think Manning has a shot at the job, but that doesn't mean the players don't think it and don't want to play for him and don't right. want to and, 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 and help him either get the next job or, or, you know, there comes a certain point where you win enough and it, it's, it, you can't get rid of a guy sometimes. And so, I, I mean, I, that I, you're right. And, and, and I, and I also think that there's something to four days earlier getting beaten by a team uh, and, yeah. and going through the experience that, that Maryland did and having been beaten twice. I, I think they'll be supremely motivated. Um, and I'd like to say that MSU will be too, but we've just seen too many games where MSU had everything to play for this year where they haven't looked very good out of the gate. So I, I don't, I, I still, I, I don't trust MSU and I have no idea what to expect. Before we kind of talk more about the MSU Maryland game, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit here and talk, talk about the seniors a little bit. Uh, what do we th- make of the fact that Gabe Brown, Joey Hauser, and Marcus Bingham all participated in senior day activities despite still uh, having at least one more year of eligibility. Do we, do we think that automatically means they are not coming back next year? Or did they, was that just more of a precautionary measure just in case and they haven't made any decisions yet? I mean, I don't think anything's official. I mean, the, the, the sense is that Hauser is, is about as official as you can get. It, but, I mean, they're, they're, they're certainly making moves and talking like they're done, like this is their final run. I'll be very curious to see when they get out of the season. They may be expecting that now. And they look at their pro futures. Um, and they look at and they have conversations with Izzo what what the coaching staff decides they want, what that roster needs, um, what the players decide they ultimately want, you know, if you want to do this again. I I I guess at this point I would say it's unlikely any of the three are back. I thought for a while Bingham would be the guy. And I think the stronger the end of the year Bingham has, where the better it goes with Izzo, the more I would think that, perhaps. But uh, I would lean towards uh, all three being being gone. Well, I think the one thing that with Bingham's case that was, to me, fascinating in some ways was how how much Izzo gushed over what Bingham did during that game on the sideline, on the bench, um, the the energy that he brought some of the things that he did in terms, I mean, it takes, you know, one thing that Izzo has, has done all, you know, pretty much since January is question the team's leadership. And it sounded to me like he saw something in Bingham that day in terms of leading other guys that maybe Bingham hasn't seen or shown all year. So, you know, that could be certainly something to, to keep an eye on. I mean, with you, you know, you <clears throat> listen, you know, I don't know if Tom Izzo will embrace the portal. I know as much as Michigan State fans want him to, um, and I know that he went and got Tyson Walker last year and explored other guys like John Harar and some of the other guys that were in the portal that he didn't get or that stayed where they were at or went elsewhere. Um, but I think it's still, to him, kind of uh, the antithesis of what he sees college basketball as which, you know, at the same point, he wants to win, and he still wants to win another title. Um, so maybe he needs to – maybe that becomes more of a priority and he tries to take the Mel Tucker route and load up a team for a big run. I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a fascinating off season, but I do think with those two open scholarships uh, from this year, funding into next year, it'll be interesting to see just – you know, I mean, those are basically scholarships that are kept open – I would think uh, you know, what we thought for a couple of these guys to come back next year, um, whether that ends up being the case still remains to be seen, but there's also still, it, it, I would, I would think that Izzo would think that there's still plenty of basketball left for these guys this year. But remember last year they were getting ready to go into the NCAA tournament and already being linked to guys in the portal. So I don't know. 
it's 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 a new world. So it's like you can you can look at what Pumizo has done for pretty much the entirety of his 27 seasons, and it, it completely goes out the window because everything has changed in the landscape of college basketball. Hey, Chris, do you know who else Michigan State went after besides Harar in the transfer portal last year? Oh, off the top of my head, I can't remember. I know that they were they were they explored a couple bigs, I think, and you know, obviously Walker. They they were after right away and landed him. Um, um, I, I I I don't know anybody else. I feel like there may have been uh, a couple other guys. Yeah, there was that a, were in there. there that were discussed. Who was? But uh, yeah, no, it, it, one of the Rutgers guys, maybe. Yeah, it's been it's been a while since we, we went through that track and and remembering yeah. the names off the top. It's that was almost just a bit of a sidebar sidebar question there anyway. So. You know, leading into this Michigan Maryland game on Thursday, you guys have talked a lot about how it's hard to beat a team three times. And you just say Michigan Maryland game, Michigan Maryland team. People are going to be unhappy with that. <laughs> Michigan, yeah, come on! Uh, what a failure on my part. You guys get it. listeners. You guys get it. Michigan State Maryland. Um, you guys talked about how hard it is to beat a team three times, and the fact that Maryland beat Michigan State in this game last season. So I guess what 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 is the key for Michigan State to, you know, keep its head, keep its focus, and get this third win over over Maryland and a chance to to play Wisconsin on Friday. They've got to defend like they did out of the gate against Maryland the other day. Yeah. They've got to get they've got to play with that edge. They've got to, you know, they've got to get their you know, their key guys got to have good performances. Help if Hogarth's back to being himself would certainly would, would certainly help. Um you know um it basically what they did the other day works, you know, and they're not going to get one for 15. They may not get the, the marble throw the ball in from 16 feet. They may not get Bingham three threes, but you know, they went up 15 at Maryland too, for a reason. So I, you know, certainly they've got to hit shots that goes without saying all that stuff. Gabe Brown's gotta, gotta be deep. You know, it's all the same things all year, but I think it begins with where they've struggled in recent games when things have gone wrong, and that's defending out of the gate. They were as dialed in as I've seen them in a while, even more so than Purdue in terms of getting into people, forcing tough shots, helping out in the gaps. Like that that first half and parts of the second half defensively, um, that, that's, that's where it starts because if they keep themselves in that way, they can find other things. They can figure everything out. Maryland's not so good they're going to run away from them. Uh, I don't think like like other teams have. Uh, having said that, it'll be like twenty to two Maryland on Thursday. But <laughs> I, yeah, so that 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 to me it's the defense out of the gate. I I think as well. You know that's that's a big thing. But they also were attacking the boards as good as I've seen them in a while as well. Maybe it's a matchup thing. Um, they didn't really necessarily have to play the the kind of bigs that they played uh, down the stretch that have kind of pushed them around. That's kind of Maryland's got a little bit more of uh, a fitting game that that meshes up with them in the post, um, you know, from a defensive and rebounding standpoint. And they were able to get out and run too, um, which I think was, I mean, Maryland was was the perfect elixir to all the problems that they were having because a lot of those teams were jamming them up and not letting them get out and run in transition and overpowering them on the post. So, I think to me, I think from a from a pure matchup standpoint, it, it's a it's probably a little better than maybe facing Indiana again. Um, and you know, but at the same point, you know, we still don't know which team's going to show up. I mean, which Max Christie are we going to see? That's still going to be critical because I think that you know his the more minutes that he's played, I think his his defense has started to dwindle. Um, from where it was earlier in the year, it's understandable because he's still a freshman. He's still playing so many minutes. He's, all, he's lost confidence in his offense. I mean, he's he's airballing you know little floaters from ten feet, eight ten feet away, which is you know it, it's fascinating. Kind of watching what's happened to him with, with the lack of lack of confidence and the lack of legs uh, from what he's put in on the defensive end. Uh, but I, I think that he's got a kind of use these couple days of of extra rest to kind of get his his game and his mind right um in particular and i think those seniors are critical to doing that i think the seniors having the games that they did um maybe allows them to get out of their own head a little bit and try and help chrissy now get out of his head uh to kind of get that 
that extra piece that's kind of been missing really for for this this uh, back half of the season. I know, I know in previous years uh, uh, on this podcast we have kind of gone sometimes we've gone game by game for the Big Ten tournament, but we will not do that this year. But I will ask you guys to make a prediction for who will win the Big Ten tournament this year. Graham, I will start with you. Right, I would have said Purdue a week ago. I, you know that they're going to rise up and get it done. Um, you know, I always look at motivation with these these tournaments. And while I think, you know, somebody like Rutgers could be a good long shot pick. Um, and I, I think Iowa to get a piece of Iowa played well enough late to, to think they're the best team in the league for them to think that and what it would mean to win a Big Ten tournament. I would say Iowa having to play the extra game is tough, but Iowa is, is somebody I like a lot to do it. And I, and I like I like Purdue on the other end, you know, even though Purdue's been you know, helter skelter. And so Iowa, Purdue. Uh, you know, I'm I'm done picking Purdue. They've just they've, they've <laughs> let me down all year. And if they if they blow this in the NCAA tournament, it's a shame. I think that's where their focus will be. They'd love to have a Big Ten tournament title, but these teams that, yeah, give me give me give me Iowa. Give me Illinois. Um, I yeah. I think that, you know, they uh, to me they've got a chance to have a very big postseason. Um, and I think. This is, you know, when you talk about motivation, I kind of agree with you, but I also think they're also a team that's in need of building some of that rhythm. Uh, and they started to down the stretch. You know, they lo- had that loss to Ohio State. They lost to Rutgers. They lost to Purdue. They had that, that stretch there where it was, you know, up and down. And then they win out their last three was Michigan, Penn State, and Iowa, all of which were playing really good basketball. I, I think from a rhythm standpoint, if if I'm Brad Underwood, I want to keep that going. I want to ride the inside out that they've got with with Frazier and Curbelo and and Coburn, um, and, and I think that you know that that I think could lend them to to build the rhythm going into the NCAA tournament. And, and as you mentioned earlier, you know a chance to say no, 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 not quite Wisconsin. We really were the best team all year. We didn't just backdoor our way into this. I am with you, Graham, for, for better or for worse. I, my, I was going to say Iowa before you said Iowa, and uh, no Fran Fade, at least, uh, at least until the NCAA tournament uh, this year, is my prediction. So yeah, I'm with, I'm with Chris. I think the winner of that Iowa-Illinois game on that side is going to be is the team I would, I would pick. For whatever yeah. reason, though, Illinois is not matched up with Purdue as well as some other people, and it might be the two bigs and the similarities of certain things. So I, you know, and... Yeah, that's that's the weird the weird thing. If, if it, I don't like Purdue unless they're playing Illinois, even though Illinois is better than most teams. Just, you know, it's matchups, right? So, um, that yeah. But if you were asking me where I would put my money, no longer thirty five to one. It's more like eighteen to one. But Rutgers is still a heck of a play on uh, for that. Um, you know, Iowa's odds have gone up. There was a point a week ago where I hope you jumped on Rutgers and Iowa. Um, it, it, Iowa was still like eight to one or something like that. It was still a really good play. All right, there's there's Graham's gambling corner for for this week. <laughs> uh, before we move to predictions, I guess we would be remiss if I at least didn't mention uh, that with Sunday's win against Maryland, that Tom Izzo got his 663rd win with the Spartans, which is uh, the most victories by a coach at a Big Ten school. I believe is the official designation for that number. Um, we saw a bunch of banners, not not banners, but a bunch of uh, signs with the 663 on them and everything. And obviously, it was a pretty big deal to Tom. And you know, Stephen had the ball. Steve, his son Stephen had the ball uh, at the end of the game, and it looked like the Tom was going to tear up a little bit there, a little bit after you know all that went down. So at least it was it was a big deal in some regard. Uh, I think I said this. He passes Bob Knight for that record. Uh, Graham, what kind of any significance uh, do you do you take with with that milestone reached? Well, I mean, it's it's you know, it's it's absolutely significant. It's pretty amazing given who Izzo, you know, Izzo barely survived his third year, right? That's the old the old line, and and a guy who took a, a program that was in, you know, NIT and NIT every other year just about for a while, and and made them sort of the envy of every other middling program. And uh, the number of coaches that have been fired because of Tom Izzo is probably in the the hundreds from coaches that from ADs that want their program to replicate what Izzo has done at MSU, to take a program of that stature and take it to a different stature. It's, it's like with Gonzaga and, and mid-majors every, 
uh, moron AD at some little school wants their program to be the next Gonzaga and uh, doesn't put the resources in. But so I, I think it's 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 something that may never be broken. Uh, it would take um, Matt Painter a long time to do it, and uh, I, especially since Izzo is still coaching. Um, but yeah, no, it's it, it's it's absolutely significant, and it, it's 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 frankly quite remarkable given that coaches don't do that much anymore in terms of one place and 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 winning that much. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's a testament to his longevity at Michigan State because I mean, yeah, Knight had 663 wins at Indiana, but he had about 900 total, you know, between what he did at Army and then what he did at Texas Tech after that. So, I mean, I, I put that. As, as as a mark that I don't think people coming into this year or really even into early January put new existed. I think that's it's a, it's a record that's important in some ways, but the bigger and more important one that I think is out there still. And I think if you had to pin Izzo down on it, this would be the one that's more important to him is breaking Bob Knight's 353 wins uh, in Big Ten play, um, that's always to him been the bigger story, and and you know he he this is why he values conference championships over tournament championships as well. You know the 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 ability to do it through a sixteen, eighteen, twenty game grind, win those titles, and you know that's how Bob Knight built his. Um, and you know he's at three twenty two right now, and Knight's at three fifty three, so. He's got a couple more years to to kind of catch up there, I think. But um, it's still it's still a pretty significant record. I mean, because you know, all those. What I think is interesting about that is all sixty all six sixty three of those were at Michigan State, and not many coaches can say that. Not many coaches can say they spent their entirety uh, of their career at at one school and done as much as Izzo has. So I do think. There is something to be said about that, but I think that that Big Ten league wins record is the one that, that matters a little bit more. And, and what else is interesting? If he's one win away from tying John Wooden and Jim and Jim Laranega for thirtieth uh, in Division One history at six sixty four, so now you put them next. You know, the next step, the next win, you, the last one gets you gets you a, a record with Bob Knight. This one gets you a record with John Wooden. You know, even it might be thirtieth, but that's still a significant thing when you think about who John Wooden is in the history of basketball. Predictions for Thursday's game versus Maryland, Graham. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Michigan State because I think they're a slightly better team than Maryland. I think they've got better depth. Um, uh, you know, but I'm putting it at like fifty one percent, and so give me Michigan State. You know, seventy one Maryland, sixty nine. And um, if it's a 20-point win for Maryland, no, I will not be surprised. <laughs> Chris? Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's a 20-point win for Michigan State either because it, that's just how this season has gone, right? I mean, you know, the, we talk about the, the question mark with Maryland. I mean, if they're not looking at a postseason, how in, invested are they in this game? So, But I still think it's going to be a dogfight because there's a lot of pride with those guys. So... I do think Michigan State wins it in advance to Friday. Um, I think they win by about eight. Um, you know, hit some clutch shots and free throws down the stretch and get some rest and come back and try and get Wisconsin again. Uh, that's, that's, I think it, that's kind of what we see is the up. I think we're seeing a little bit of an up from Michigan State right now. All right. Any final thoughts before we sign off for this week? Well, we're a week out from spring football starting, mm-hmm. so I think that's important. Michigan State added a, a transfer from Washington State and Brian Green, who, you know, an interior lineman, center guard. Um, that helps for sure uh, going into the, the summer, but he's obviously not here at the moment. Uh, so it's going to be a big, uh, the biggest thing to watch going into this and coming out of even last year, we talked about is the offensive line. So, that's a that's a a different topic for another day because um once you get to march um you know spring football usually won't get really going and discussed all that much uh, around here until 
whenever the basketball season ends. Yep. January, February, Izzo, I believe the saying goes, right, guys? Yes, that is that is the saying. And uh, you know what? I know that you know probably gets overplayed, but there's a reason that that happened, right? That that occurred, that, that became a thing. He's had some marches where things have gone amazingly well uh, after even seasons that weren't great. I don't think this is going to be one of them, uh, but I have been wrong before. Once or twice. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's the win of the podcast that Graham admitted he's been wrong before. <laughs> Once or twice. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.